episode 15 of Transistor for September 30th, 2012, where today's topics include trans journey thoughts, translation, mannerisms, it matters a lot, transitions, psyche evaluations, not fun, not nice, and transonic, my life as a dominatrix, playing doctor, transformers, Listening on latex gloves and transmissions, news from around the world. This is Transistor with your host, Velvet Steel. We're here, we exist, and you want to know all about us. Listen, laugh, and you're going to learn. Trans journey, thoughts, developmental thoughts, stuff that just comes. Where does it come from? Why do I think this way? What am I thinking about? Does it really matter? I'm not so sure. I know one of the things that I was always doing as a kid was play toys. The toys I liked to play with. I didn't give it any thought. I always went to play with dolls. And uh, I liked my dolls. And I liked my Raggedy Ann dolls. And I remember this one doll that I had as a kid. And uh, it was, it wasn't, I won't say it was a Raggedy Ann doll, but it was a doll that I got from England when we were living over in England. And uh, I loved this guy, and I loved playing with this toy, and he was a flopsy-mopsy kind of raggedy doll, very square, very nondescript, but it was, you know, it was a little boy doll, and I thought he was great, and I would literally walk around with him dragged by the, on the floor but behind me, and uh, one day he suddenly disappeared, and I never knew why. And I couldn't figure out where he had gone to, and uh, it wasn't until later on in my life that I found out that, well... As my dad explained to me, because my mother had long since passed, that it was one of those things that they decided they were going to take away from me, and they basically threw it out. Um, You threw it out. Okay. Um, What made you think that getting rid of my toy was... What part of my development was that going to affect? I was five years old. It was not a big deal. I mean, I wasn't playing with them like I was because I'd already moved on to other different things and playing with Lego and another Bilo, which is a wooden toy from Denmark as well. I love these constructive toys and I was well into painting and doing all these different things. But the toys that I had on my bed, they all sat in their little grouping and that's where they did like most kids do these days and even adults I know who collect all their stuffed toys and have them in a hammock in their bedroom what's the difference what does it matter at any rate um, one of the things that I was able to maintain and keep from my youth was my teddy bear and I still have my teddy bear and I wasn't thinking about guy or girl or dress up this way or having a teddy bear or my raggedy doll was going to make me develop in a certain way. It was just a comfortable toy, much like a sucky blanket is for most kids and babies and things like that. You know, and then as I moved on, 
I started that thinking that I wanted to do different things, you know, and I wanted to try sports of a different nature. I wasn't into team sports. Sports, I hated sports as a matter of fact. I was too shy. They were painful. And I couldn't, I, all I could think about when I was playing team sports, for example, I tried baseball. I tried soccer. I wasn't good with the other kids. I wasn't good at, you know, doing things that were in a team-oriented thing. I would learn later on in life through work that I'm a very good team player. But I was thinking about, ooh, how I must look like an idiot running around this field because I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to play that. I'm awkward. That was all I was thinking. That was all I could think about was I look awkward. I feel awkward. This is not a game I want to play. Thinking, thinking, thinking. And, you know, there were times where I'd wake up thinking when I was a kid and I couldn't stop thinking. I couldn't get to sleep and I'd start crying and freaking out and wondering what was going on. You know, then moving on as well, because adults always have this thing where they're thinking about, oh, you're a little girl, you're a little boy, you have to do this, you have to do that. That thought process, where does that come from? Why do they think that? Does it really matter? I don't think so. You know, and then when it came to dressing as well, my mother was so proud of the fact that I could dress myself, but she didn't like the combinations of clothes and colors that I was putting on. I thought I looked fabulous. I looked great. Well, you know, I kind of wanted to wear the things that my sisters were being put in, like dresses and stuff like that. And when I would go to the store with my mom, she'd ask what I'd like to wear or what I would pick out from the store. It happened to be very colorful, very bright things. And, well, that's not what little boys do. That's not what little boys wear. And there you go again. That's that adult thought process telling you what to do, what to wear and how to do it. And why? Why was that doing that? You know, I remember my mother making fabulous clothes for my sisters. And then when she got into doing this, I remember one pair of pants, actually two pairs of pants that I had. I love these pants. And when they started to wear it at the knees, well, my mom turned those into the best pair of hot shorts I ever had as a kid. And I'm not kidding. These were hot shorts. <laughs> so kind of mixed messages, mom. You know, the kids can't, the boys can't wear these pants, but they can wear hot shorts. Huh. Um, and when they're worn out, we have to get rid of that. And I have to wear mittens, not gloves. I can't do these things. I was like, I didn't give a shit. I thought I looked great in the clothes that I wanted to wear. I wasn't thinking any sort of gender specific action. It's only until you get older than the adults start to tell you what to do and how to be that you start thinking in those manners, boys and girls, boys versus the girls, girls versus the boys. I wanted my stuffed toys. I wanted my toys. I wanted my clothes. I didn't care. It even happened with my hair. I liked wearing my hair a certain way. My mother, I know, flipped out when we came home with brush cuts one year. That's not what I want my little boys to be wearing. My mother wanted us to have longer hair. And even to the point where my mother started taking the curling iron out and curling my hair when she would send me off to school. Curling iron, huh? So you're saying I can do this and you can't do that. You're making me think pretty fucked up. And why? I don't know. Because that was what was in her head, not mine. Translations The art of the past. Mannerisms. Mm-hmm. There are ways that men and women carry themselves physically. And it's right from top to bottom, from walking to talking to hand gestures, all these different things. And for most folks who are in the, you know, the transitional stage, they don't quite get it. And I know there are a few people in the States, actually there's a woman in New York who's actually offering mannerism classes to transsexuals. And this is post and preoperative individuals and those that are happy in between. And she's got this down pat and you know what? She's right. 
the whole idea of you know, if it doesn't come naturally to you, you're not going to get it. And you may need a little bit of guidance. And you also need to step yourself in front of a mirror and have a proper look with somebody else who's going to point those things out. And one of them happens to be the whole hand gestures, you know, closed fisted or open fingered. What are you doing? What are you talking about? Most women talk with their fingers open. Men talk with a closed fist and their hand is generally away from the body. And most men keep their hand close to their body when they're talking. And that's one thing that most don't realize and point out. And when you're showing fingernails and everything else, it's generally your hand is up, not your palm up, your hand up and your fingers spread and you're showing yourself that way. And walking. This is another one that always gets me as well. Most of the men that I know walk with their toes out ever so slightly. And the ones that walk even with their toes even that much further out, well, you may as well stick on a pair of clown shoes to make your feet that much bigger and really draw emphasis to the fact that you're walking like, well, a penguin, a penguin. Your feet are pointed out. You're not walking very feminine. You need to keep your toes pointed slightly towards each other because that's really the only way you're going to get used to it. And that's one thing that they focus on in some of these mannerism classes, that the toes need to point straight and they need to point slightly in to keep them going straight. And you got to walk straight with them that way. And you got to hold your head high. you got to have your shoulders back, your chest out and suck in your gut. It's not about walking slouched over like you've just got off the couch for the next beer. No, not at all. You're not going to be doing that. And the other thing that you have to keep in mind, too, is your lips and your tongue, because you're going to do a lot of talking, you know, and mannerisms include where your tongue is going to go and that you're going to talk with an open mouth and nice lips. Your tongue is going to generally stay behind the top teeth or the bottom teeth, not going to come out. And you know what? Don't stick your tongue out thinking that it's cute and coy and sexy. Uh Uh-uh. And even when you're doing pictures, you want to have your tongue behind your teeth or maybe on the outside corner of the lip, inside the lip to make it look that much more cute or feminine. And generally an open mouth for most people for a smile is that much more feminine. Think of Marilyn Monroe at times. I mean, you don't have to be you know, looking like you're ready to suck the next big one, do you? No, I don't think so. And the nose. You don't want to have your nose visible when you're doing your mannerisms. It's got to be straightforward. And you've got to make it look nice and be good. I know, and we're talking about things of mannerisms and stuff like that, like voice. Well, you got to learn about voice. That's also part of mannerisms. And how far into breathe into your cavity, your chest cavity, your lungs. Because you're going to be working with your diaphragm when it comes to breathing. You're generally going to take the air in just past your voice box. Not all the way in. You're not going to breathe from your lungs out. Because it's going to create a deeper, harder voice. If you want to create a softer, sexier voice... Most of them that, like I said before, it's not coming naturally to, are going to have to learn the art of breathing to make the mannerisms and get them down pat. And you have to keep the eyes very sensual. You have to keep all of it in play. It's not easy. It doesn't come overnight. But, um, you know, most women that are out there, they already know this. Transitions. Psyche evaluation or psychiatric evaluation, whatever you want to call it. You're getting your head examined. Well, you know, everybody thinks that going through anything to do with SRS, gender transition, is all about going in and getting a few cosmetic procedures. Uh Uh-uh. You are put under the microscope and you get analyzed by a lot of individuals and if you're not getting talked to properly by your GP, first of all, get a new GP, okay? Go somewhere else. Get someone that you're going to be able to talk to properly because it's going to start there. 
when you're going to talk to your doctor properly and he's going to ask you or she's going to ask you what it is that you got going through your head and they're going to evaluate you. And then once they've done that, they're going to just make that decision as to next step for you, whether they're going to put you on hormones, whether they're going to put you on spironolactone, which is the antigen blocker for testosterone. And it's different if you're actually female to male. And they're also going to figure out, well, we're going to send you off to a psychiatrist. Um, and in some cities around the world, they do actually have gender clinics where you'll actually find a clinical psychologist, the psychiatrist there, as well as counselors, and they all help to deal with a multitude of different things. And I know in my early days, there were not very many, um, how shall we say, clinics around that dealt specifically with sexual uh, dysfunction, gender issues, all these different things. So I was ended up, my first visit to a psychiatrist, which was pretty horrific, um, left me feeling like well, shit. Uh, there I was with two individuals examining me like I had walked in with the plague. Literally, that's how I felt. I was not welcome. I didn't feel good. And also couldn't figure out why there was two of them in there only to find out that, well, this is because it's a learning hospital that this is the way it was and this is the procedure. And after about an hour and a half of chat and emotions and everything else coming through, these doctors in their infinite wisdom, psychiatrists, had decided that I, well, I was HIV positive. I had a serious problem with alcohol as well as drug abuse, prescription drug abuse, and that I should go to NAAA and go and get a HIV test. Um, wow, really? That was what your diagnosis was all about? You did not hear anything about what I had said about my feelings, what I was feeling about myself, why I was feeling this way in terms of gender and dressing and all these other different things and my interests, you know, specifically my interests. I was so pissed off and so mad that I didn't leave there crying. I left there angry, really angry and proceeded to go for my HIV test to come back negative. Yay. They wouldn't actually even test me, to be honest with you. And for the simple reason being that I was not in a high-risk category. Yes, I had my fair share of tattoos. And um, I thought, okay, well, let's go on. Why, why wouldn't I be able to get tested for anything regardless of this? I mean, that, that doesn't mean that there's HIV. I could, what about hepatitis from tattoos, right? I mean, you know, unclean. And there's lots of stories around the world about death and stuff like that. Anyway, finally getting tested, came back negative, hellish two weeks in the days when it did take two weeks to get your test back. And also the whole idea of NA and AA. Sorry, I don't have a problem. I know people who do have problems. I have someone in my family who's got a problem and I don't even come close to that. So it took me a little while to figure out what was going on and going to different places. And, um, you know, seeing counselors actually started in high school for me. And, you know, the counselors that I was seeing in high school were more about, well, you need to think about reality. You need to think about a real job because wanting to be a part of the arts, well, that's not a real job. Why aren't you interested in math or science or something to do with English? I like art. I like painting. I like videography. I like film. Um, I like acting. What does that not have to do with anything to do with a job or cultural or anything to do with making money and having a life? I never understood that. And that really pissed me off there. So, you know, here I am, two negative experiences. And well, it took a while when I was going downtown Toronto and I was spending a lot of time at my aunt's place who was in a rock and roll band. And I love going down there and babysitting my cousin and having a grand old time. I would sit and listen to all of the music that she had. She had hundreds of albums, hundreds and, um, you know, there I was as a 14-year-old learning about what was going on and thinking, this is really cool. This is where I want to be. 
And uh, in my walks down around where she lived around college and, what, what was it, college, yeah, college and then Spadina in around there, there was this lovely, and Bloor, college in Bloor, there was a counselor, uh, I didn't know it was a counselor, but it was in this house that people were coming and going, I took notice of what the sign said out there, and um, made my way in there one day, and um I met with this individual who started talking to me and he could see that there was some distress going on. And we started off the whole idea of going through puberty and that puberty was creating a real serious problem for me. And this is something that I didn't even tell my parents. I was doing this on my own. I didn't even tell my aunt, to be honest with you. I decided that I was going downtown, taking the bus on my own and going and getting this guidance, lovely guidance. And um, well... 16 hit and I had decided that, well, I've got my driver's license. I'm going to try to be cool and fit in with the neighborhood kids and do all this other stuff. And only to have that uh, slap me in the face later on in life and found myself going back to this counseling service in this lovely house um, that dealt with a lot of different community things and people and stuff like that. Right. Well, ironically enough, not too far from the uh, mental institute in Toronto which at this point in time was the Clark Institute. And uh, yeah, that was that was kind of the irony. But anyway, we had gone through all these different testing and things like that, and he decided that I needed to go for a further test to figure out what exactly was going on. He was dealing with so many issues with me that he made me feel like a million bucks and that I had the world and I could take the world by, you know, by its hand and say, hey, give me what you got. So I did, and uh, these tests came back reaffirming a few things for me in terms of chromosomal abnormalities, XY, XXY, XXY, yay, here I am, Um, made me understand why I was developing the way I was, why I was thinking the way I was, and uh, that there was nothing wrong with me. And it wasn't until I had moved to Vancouver and decided that I needed to get my head screwed on straight because I was living in downtown Toronto, dealing with a lot of individuals who, for all intents and purposes, spent most of their time drunk um, and drugging, and I needed to get out of that. I mean, the world of a hairstylist, yes, I'm a hairstylist as well, is not all that glamorous. People seem to think that it is, and I needed to get the hell away. And when I came to Vancouver, I gone to found a lovely GP here and had explained to him my situation. And right off the bat, he sent me to the gender clinic here in Vancouver. And well, from there, the rest is history. That was the welcoming group of people that I've ever met in my life. Lovely, lovely. I enjoyed it. Um, they were open and made me see a lot of different things that I didn't think I had access to. Transonic. Because I like to think of myself as supersonic, but really it's about my life and my world as a dominatrix professional and in my personal life. And um, I've seen and done quite a few crazy little things. Well, I guess by most people's standards, quite crazy. Uh, a lot of them for me were serious learning experiences. And of course, a lot of it's fetishistic. And one of those fetishes happens to be the doctor, the nurse scenario, the examination. Ooh. And um, you can basically figure out what that's all about. You can take the idea and run with it. But some of them get a little bit more intensive to the point where you find yourself collecting medical equipment. Yeah, I've got a lot of medical equipment. I have a lot of vintage antique medical equipment, all hand-blown glass and porcelain and very, very ergonomically designed, very beautiful stuff that could be construed as works of art. 
But anyway, that just was down the road from my introduction to it. I always liked the look of the nurse. I liked the look of the uniform, the beanie cap, the caps, all these different things. Oh, even the, you know... The stethoscope, oh, it was always fun when you could always sit there and play with it. And every time I was at the doctor's office, I always found myself playing with their stuff. Well, as luck would have it, I had my first client come over for a doctor's session. And um, he wasn't really that forthcoming about what exactly he was interested in. Well, what uh, he was into was, well, anal cavity examinations. Ooh. Um... I didn't know the extent of this, except that I knew that, uh, dude, you need to be cleaned out, and I hope you're going to be cleaned out, and that means that you've done something before you show up at my door, because I don't want to have any secret surprises come, you know, splashing out onto my floor, if I can be so frank. Anyway, he was more than gracious to understand that that's what he was going to do, and he'd be all prepped and ready to go. And uh, so here we were. He came in, and I was all jacked out in my nurse's uniform, skin tight, super high heels, and lovely red lipstick and nails to match. I look pretty fucking good, and I still think I look pretty damn good when I'm dressed like that. So anyway, there he was in his uh, hospital gown. Yeah, I went to great lengths to get my hospital gowns and my you know, hospital slippers and all these other different things to put on and make my client feel like the fantasy was actually real. Even an IV drip tube, as well as the examination table on wheels where I could have all my implements and instruments on it. The medical exam table bench slash um, gynecological exam table that I also have. I got a few things. Anyway, So there we were, playing doctor, Mm, telling him how he's going to feel a little bit of pressure as I have him bend over and feel his butt, play around with his butthole, and have him take his knees to his nose and curl into a ball and feel what that's all about. Well, there I was, expecting a light-hearted, you know, somewhat tense situation, because when you're expecting a bit of pressure, there's going to be pressure, because you know it's going to go in pretty easy. Well, there was no pressure. It went in a little too easy. One finger, two fingers, three fingers, four fingers. Okay. Well, there goes the thumb. Mm, Okay. Let's see what else is going to happen here. Only to have someone... Oh, I think you have to reach in deeper to find where it is. I think my problem's way up in deeper. Okay. There went the fist up to the wrist up to the forearm, up to the elbow. Um, yeah, did I mention that my gloves were um, opera-length leather gloves? Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't keep those gloves anymore, but at any rate, that my arm went in with no problem whatsoever. And that was my first foray into anything to do with an ale cavity full search. <laughs> Transformers Latex gloves Yeah, hot on the heels of Transonic Doctor, playing doctor Well, I learned my lesson with those leather gloves, didn't I? And I wasn't going to ruin another pair Uh Uh-uh These things, I had them all the way from Amsterdam And they were expensive, beautiful Kidskin leather gloves no longer in my possession. Mm-mm. Did you think I was going to keep those around? No. So what was I going to do? Well, I went to the medical supply places. I went and looked for gloves, latex gloves. 
And this is in the day when people weren't actually developing allergies to latex. And I do have to remind you people out there that people have a lot of allergies to different things. And they're now making gloves that are nitrile, which is actually less invasive on the body in regards to allergies. So depending on what you've got going on, if you've got an allergy on there, be careful because latex allergies can be really severe. At any rate, um, they didn't have the full-on, you know, opera-length latex gloves at the medical supply place. They just had the regular gloves that came just beyond the wrist. So that was one that I couldn't really do. And, well, being an avid shopper at some of the fetish shops around town in Toronto, Northbound Leather being one of them, they had gotten in just recently latex gloves that were opera-length gloves. Well, I hightailed it down there and got my first pair of latex gloves. They fit like, well, a glove. And they were tight. Second skin. I loved these things. And, um, you know, a few other shops have propped up around the world that are now selling latex gloves. And they're really good. And I highly recommend them. And you can get them in fun, fabulous colors. Well, you can get them in pink, even if you want to go that far. I actually have a pair. You can get them in red, black, white, and skin color. And there's a couple places such as Libidex that's also making these things. And you can look them up online. They're really lovely gloves. We've also got a company out of Montreal that is making latex too. And they're just so fabulous. And um, Polymorph, that's who they are. And they're Canadian. I can actually say that their quality is awesome. So if you're looking for some latex gloves that are either beyond the wrist or full-on opera-length leather gloves, check out Polymorph. I'm sure you're going to be happy. Transmissions. News from around the world. Some nice, some not so nice. But it's all good. It's all stuff to hear about. And I've got some real positive ones, I think, today that uh, you're going to like. So, first up, the U.S. Office of Human Rights ads aimed solely at transgender people. This is nice to see this, actually. The Human Rights Office is actually putting out posters. At any rate, Washington, D.C. has launched what it claims is the U.S.A.'s first anti-trans discrimination campaign. Five advertisements, each featuring a transgender resident, will appear throughout the city in the fall as part of the D.C. Office of Human Rights plan to combat transphobia, reported the Washington Blade. As well as promoting respect in Washington's equality laws, people will be urged to call the office if they experience discrimination. OHR Director Gustavo Velasquez told the Blade that they believe it is the country's first government-sponsored campaign to focus solely on transgender people. He said the Office of Human Rights is incredibly proud of that, and they should be. To ensure we take full advantage of the opportunity, we identified three primary goals for the campaign. Increase understanding of transgender and gender non-conforming people. Reduce discriminatory incidents in the district and increase the number of community members who report discrimination, he added. The courageous and bright DC-based participants appearing in the ads and the powerful accompanying messages can make this happen. Although we know much more work needs to be done to eradicate discrimination towards this community, LGBT groups have welcomed the news with trans activist Rudy Corrado saying she is very happy. That's Ruby, sorry. She said, having the Office of Human Rights take some leadership on this for me is remarkable. I am proud and I'm very happy that this city and its LGBT leaders has taken on the issue and supported us 100%. And if you're interested, you can actually go and look them up online and see the posters. They're quite beautiful, informative, and very welcoming and inviting. 
Second up, the American Psychiatric Association removes transgender from mental illness category. Ooh. Transgender people are no longer considered mentally ill by the American Psychiatric Association. The mental health organization's decision to replace the term gender identity disorder with gender dysphoria means transgender is no longer categorized as a mental, mental illness mental, and comes after years of campaigning by activists. It no longer matters what your body looks like, what you do to it, and of all that is irrelevant as far as the APA goes, says Dana Beyer, a retired eye surgeon who helped the Washington Psychiatric Society make recommendations for the chapter on sexual and gender identity disorders. She told the Associated Press a right-winger can't go out and say all trans people are mentally because if you are not dysphoric, that you, well, that you can't be diagnosed from afar. The change will have an impact on legal cases with courts unable to use a person's gender identity against them, but also meaning trans people can't use their disorder as a defense. Good for that. The move is being cited as the big step in the LGBT rights movement since the APA announced in 1973 that homosexuality was not a mental illness, paving the way for gay, greater tolerance, I would say gay tolerance, greater tolerance, it is all tolerance, and acceptance in society. All psychiatric diagnoses occur within a cultural context, Jack Dresher, a New York psychiatrist and member of the APA submitting, told the Associated Press. We know there is a whole community of people out there who are not seeking medical attention and live between the two binary categories. We want to send the message that the therapist's job isn't to pathologize. And finally, transgender Mother Teresa of Kuala Lumpur dies age 68. The life of Ashwa Dewey, a matriarch for the, to the transgender community of Malaysia, was celebrated by over a thousand people with a colorful funeral procession through the streets in Kuala Lumpur on Wednesday. Dewey, 68, died of a heart attack early on August the 8th, a bit of time ago. This report is from switchup.tv. It was a rare funeral procession which saw scores of mourners singing, dancing and playing musical instruments as they paid their final respects to their mother, M. Asha Devi. The procession from Chowkit to Lorong Haji Taib saw participants from all over the world coming to pay respects to Asha, who was known as a prominent figure among the transgender community here and overseas. The funeral ceremony held on Wednesday was similar to what is performed by the Hijra community in India. The Hijra are culturally defined as neither men nor women, and they are referred to by some of India's English-speaking press as eunuchs. Asha, who was fondly called Asha Ama, or the Indian godmother of Chowkit, died on Tuesday from a heart attack at the age of 68. She was the oldest living transgender woman in Malaysia. Having undergone a sex change operation in her early 20s, Asha, who was born in 1944, received her Malaysian identification card as a woman at the age of 29. According to someone who knew her, Devi was respected by many transgenders as she had helped transvestites to acquire new identification cards as women and had counseled many who wanted to undergo sex change operations. Her colorful funeral procession ended at the Sintel Crematorium. The mourners who were mostly transgender women Dewey had cared for were crying and grief-stricken, but also singing, dancing, and playing musical instruments. Dewey's coffin was adorned with flowers as it was carried through the streets. Dewey was ethnically Indian, and the funeral ceremony was similar to those performed by the Hijra, transgender community in India. The tra a transgender woman called Lata, who was at the funeral procession, told Free Malaysia Today that Dewey helped thousands of transgender people who had been rejected by their families. That's a hard one. 
I was one of the transgenders who was abandoned by my family and my mother was one of the ones who helped me, Lata said. Not only transgender mother also helped many children and the poor around Kuala Lumpur. Listening to Transistor with your host, Velvet Steele.